Welcome to Stand in the Gap Today with your host, the Honorable Sam Rohrer, President of the American Pastors Network, addressing the most pressing issues impacting our economy, our homes, our churches, our culture, and our daily lives from a biblical and constitutional perspective. Stand in the Gap Today, transforming the culture one heart at a time. Well, hello and welcome to this Wednesday edition of Stand in the Gap Today, and this is also our bi-monthly emphasis on Israel prophecy and the Middle East. You know, since Hamas invaded Israel on October 7th, seems like a long time ago, but it was, you know, just so recently, the world's attention, like a magnet, has been drawn to the nation of Israel. Each day we see the world inch closer to global war. Each day the nations of the world come into more precise alignment, either in support of Israel or against Israel. And while these facts are undisputed, there is another hardening of positions that I believe must not be lost in the understanding of the bigger picture. And it's this. Although the alignment of nations we're witnessing, either in support or against Israel, is coming into more focus by the day, and I think it will be the catalyst for expanded war, what is very clear, though, and sadly, hardly even noted by most Christian leaders, is that in this process— There is not one nation, whether they appear to be with Israel or against Israel at the moment, including America, who is giving one second of thought to God or to God's plan. Not one. Instead, every nation almost equally is aligning against God, as Psalm chapter 2 describes, which will ultimately lead, we know, all nations to be against Israel, including America, and walk straight into the judgment and the wrath of Almighty God. That's what the Bible says. Now, for the student of biblical prophecy, while the Hamas attack was a shocking surprise, the turning of the nations against Israel is not. In fact, Bible prophecy clearly foretells how God will cause to occur exactly what he said would happen as the end times nations, as described in Psalm chapter 2, align in agreement ultimately against God and God's plan, and it says his anointed. It's because of the certainty of God's plan for his anointed, and that includes, I believe, the church, the true believer in Jesus Christ, his anointed, and his anointed, his covenant people, Israel, which gives us understanding of the times and a confidence in God's unfolding plan. Yet there are certain challenges for all people, including Christians, in regard to fully understanding what's happening in the Middle East and how we should pray for and support Israeli policy, since at this point, Israel is in the land in unbelief. They're not a righteous nation any more than America is righteous anymore. And still, nationally and religiously, Israel rejecting of Jesus as the Messiah. We just know that one day, though, they will call out to the Lord and cry, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and it's at that point which the Lord will come. But only after horrendous war and death That ultimately results, though, in the salvation and full restoration of the nation of Israel and the fulfillment of God's covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So today, Isaac Crockett and I will have a conversation with Dr. Carl Brogy, senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina, on this relevant topic, resolving the Palestinian dilemma, the requirements, the guarantee. And with that, Carl, thank you for being back with us today. 
Sam and Isaac, it's always a pleasure to be here and stand on the Gap Radio as we get the opportunity to speak about the most important things in life as it relates to God's Word. So, uh, amen. And boy, what a time to be looking at events through the lens of Scripture, Carl. But in my introduction, I raised a few issues, and we want to talk about that now with you, the historical and the roots of Palestine and Palestinians, the current understanding of Palestine and what they want. And we're going to talk about some other things as well that I think are very, very pertinent for us as believers to understand relative to what's unfolding in the Middle East. Here's my first question, Carl. Lay down, if you could, a brief historical background for the people now called the Palestinians in the land referred to as Palestine, which at the moment anyways is in the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. But who are and what are the roots of Palestine, as we now know, and the Palestinians? Well, that's a critical question, because if people don't understand the history and etymology of the word, it can become very confusing. Most people know that Jesus prophesied in the Olivet Discourse that the, the city would be raised, that not one stone would stand upon another in the temple. In 70 AD, of course, that happened. Titus came down, and Josephus, a Jewish historian of the day, tells us that 1.1 million people died trying to defend the temple ground. It was much like Carthage. It was just put to the ground. And um, and there's about 97,000, if I remember correctly, that he said were taken away as slaves. And so it was just a brutal, brutal war. Well, with that said, you know, some time transpired. And when the Jewish people were mocked and that their temple was destroyed in Jupiter, a temple to Jupiter was placed there on top of the Temple Mount. There's a man by the name of uh, Simon Bar Kokhba. And he led what was called the Bar Kopka Revolt or Rebellion. And uh, he was successful for a few years, but ultimately Rome put it down in 135 AD. They had had enough. And so the emperor, Hadrian at the time, renamed Judea to be Palestinia. And he did it really as much as anything out of mockery to the Jewish people because one of their chief enemies was the Philistines. And so he, he took this Greek word for Philistine and called it Palestinia in the Latin term. And he renamed the capital of Jerusalem, Elia Capitolina. And uh, from that point on, the Jews were expelled from the city. And so uh, up until, you know, the British, uh, while the British were under control, Sam, uh, the term Palestinian uh, referred to a Jewish person or an Arab person or any person who is living in the land of Israel. It was used as a regional term, just like um, we might describe people who live in the north as northerners or people in the south as southerners. It's not an ethnic group. It's a geographical area. But with time, it has basically evolved to refer to a people rather than to a territory. And, of course, Newt Gingrich, I thought, he's the only politician I've ever heard who's brought this out when he ran for president in 2012. And uh, he underscored that it's a geographical area. It's not a race of people. But biblically speaking, when Jesus walked on the earth, 
Uh, the place that he walked is called the land of Israel. That's how Matthew refers to it when the angel comes to Joseph and says, take and go to the land of Israel because Herod, who, you know, sought Jesus's life, he's now dead. And sadly, you know, even in our Bibles today, we have maps in the back that refer to the land of Palestine in the name of Jesus. It's not called Palestine until 135 AD. And so with that said, this becomes important because the the concept is both false biblically and historically. It's a made up term to try to basically create opposition against the Jewish people by the so-called Palestinians who want to inhabit that piece of property. Hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, understand us. We're walking through this dilemma, this conflict, Palestine, Israel, didn't just start in 1948. It goes all the way back and it goes even way back further than that. But unless we understand it, as the Bible lays it out, there is no resolve. But I'm telling you, there is a resolve. For years, faithful Christians formed nonprofit foundations or trusts to preserve their ability to generously give to their favorite causes or ministries, even after their death. The problem? Professional managers, pressure from left-wing agendas, and even family members with opposing views hijacked the original donor intent. This is sad, but true. But this subversion of purpose can be prevented. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr of the American Pastors Network, and I'm glad to recommend Capstone Legacy Foundation in Wayne, Pennsylvania, an experienced and capable Christian community foundation established to help you set up a ministry, a giving structure guaranteed not to be hijacked, or a place you can donate cash or non-cash assets like stocks, bonds, or property Capstone's designed to help you achieve immediate tax savings and give you needed time to decide how to prayerfully allocate your giving. Contact Capstone at 610-688-8890 or visit them at capstonelegacy.org. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Hamas releases more hostages as Israel intensifies its airborne assault and Gaza's death toll soars. Those who survive attacks in Gaza today have little hope for recovery. All five hospitals are filled beyond capacity. At our website, Samuel with Redemptive Stories offers a biblical perspective on the cost of war. Pray for an immediate end to the war and pray that people will experience the love and hope of Christ as believers meet needs in Gaza and Israel. And professional development in the Western world often involves a series of online courses that you take to earn credit. This approach doesn't work for Christian leaders in the Middle East North Africa region. Nina Leadership Center equips Christian leaders so they can do more of the good works that God has laid upon their hearts. Heavy persecution already presents problems for Christian leaders. You can remove one obstacle by connecting believers with the training they need at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. With a woman to look at culture from a Christian worldview, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. Recently, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley questioned the new president of the NCAA, Charlie Baker, about the association's policy regarding male athletes claiming to be women. As part of his questioning, Hawley repeated testimony he'd heard a few months earlier from Riley Gaines, the women's swimmer who was forced with no warning to shower, change, and compete alongside a man. Neither she nor any of her teammates were ever notified beforehand, let alone asked for consent. When Hawley asked Baker, who started his new job after game, 
Gaines' experience about the current NCAA policy, Baker first deflected, and then he said he didn't believe that what happened to Gaines would represent current policy. All that politician speak aside, when asked under oath, Baker backed away from the NCAA's previous approach. That's good news. Of course, only time will tell if the NCAA will actually stand up for women athletes. Hopefully, the days of men intruding on women's sports and into their private spaces is coming to an end. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. You're listening to Stand in the Gap today. For more information, visit our website at standinthegapradio.com. Well, welcome back to Stand in the Gap today. Today is a Israel prophecy and Middle East update. Now, obviously, since October 7, when Hamas went into Israel, I have been spending about two days a week. So if you go back and you look at what we've done beginning the Monday after October 7, that Monday, the following Wednesday, last Monday and Wednesday, and this week, just two days ago, Monday, all from different perspectives, bringing up to date on the geopolitical, the military aspect of it, the theological underpinnings. And today we're taking kind of working together a component pieces of the theological underpinning without a doubt, the historical aspect and all of that. And my guest today is Dr. Carl Brogy, senior pastor of Community Bible Church, Beaufort, South Carolina. And again, if you listen to the program, you're very, very familiar with Carl Brogy and his ministry. Searchthescriptures.org is his website that you can find a tremendous amount of information, wonderful sermons on a whole host of issues, and would encourage you to go and visit that. All right, now let's moving in. For most of the world's governments and government leaders, the Palestinian-Israel conflict, it's eluded any enduring political solution. A lot of people have had ideas for a long time, right? Are we any closer to a solution? <laughs> Not at all. And whether those nations of the world are reflected in the United Nations, which the world's nations gather, and generally perceive that over 90% of the time, when they have votes that come up regarding Israel and the Palestinians, that they go against Israel and in favor of the Palestinians. And even though America mostly casts sometimes the deciding vote, because we have a vote that can overrule the others, and we will often vote in favor of Israel, even America over the past many administrations, have worked publicly for Israel, but behind the scenes, they've worked against it all the way. For instance, think about this. It was Jimmy Carter, way back, who submitted to the Muslim faction, gave in to them, and caused the Shah of Iran, which was friendly to the West and who sat the heavy hand upon the Islamic terrorists, deposed him. And from that time, Persia became Iran, And it became the head of the snake, as Israel talks about now, a terrorist regime in Iran, the mechanism for training and funding of Hamas and Hezbollah and all the enemies of Israel. But between then and now, Barack Obama came on the scene, Joe Biden, there's been likely over $100 billion been given directly or indirectly to Iran and therefore to Hamas and Hezbollah. So almost without exception, Every American president has promoted a two-state solution in the Middle East, with the Palestinians having their own nation literally surrounding Israel. But what do the Palestinians actually want? What's achievable, realistically or politically? All right, Carol, let's go back into this. You laid out a bit of the historical component. Bring us up today now, compare, contrast what was historically to the Palestine of today. What are we talking about? And work some of these pieces together, please. 
So the term Palestinian today, it refers to people living in the Gaza Strip that we've heard so much about and the West Bank, the West Bank being that section of originally Judea and Samaria that's to the west side of the Jordan River. Uh, that was once ruled and owned and operated uh, in, under Israel. And as I noted in the last segment, uh, the term Palestinian was basically reinvented by Asir, uh, Yasser Arafat to try to imply a historical claim to the territory uh, of Israel. But there's no such people called Palestinians any more than there's a race of people called Southerners or Northerners. With that said, there's two million plus people who live in the Gaza Strip. And it was under the control of Egypt for a long time, from 49 to 67. The 67 war changed all that. And so after the 67 war, Israel controlled the Gaza Strip. When President Clinton came into office, uh, he had some secret meetings in Oslo, Norway, with Yitzhak Rabin and Yasser Arafat. And they came upon an agreement where they would allow a certain amount of self-rule in the Gaza Strip. That eventually grew in 2005, where they were basically uh, totally under their own authority. And with that, we've seen, sadly, only evil unfold in more and more increased opposition against uh, the people of Israel. But the PLO under Yasser Arafat, you know, created this charter. And in the charter, it basically spells out that their goal is not just self-rule in the place called the Gaza Strip, but the destruction of Israel. Uh, they want uh, the Jewish people to be eradicated by off the land, specifically in their constitution bylaws. It says they want to drive them into the sea. So their objective is clear. It hasn't changed. And so um, there is all these uprisings going on and we're seeing it today. Uh, an expression in these last few weeks of uh, their commitment to annihilate the Jews. It's not just we want to be in control of the Gaza Strip. We hate Jewish people, and we want them off the land of Israel. And, of course, we've seen them braggadociously uh, underscoring that, that, that sad truth. Carl, we're watching live, really, in so many of our major cities, these large demonstrations where people are coming out and saying, free Palestine, or we stand with the Palestinians, and there's a lot of focus on possible civilian casualties or things. And people are saying, yeah, I stand with the people of Palestine. But to be clear, you're saying that even in their documents, what are they clearly asking for? If we were to try to meet their demands, you know, try to make a compromise even, could you repeat what they're demanding and then comment on whether it is even at all remotely possible for that to be achieved and still have the nation of Israel? Well, we have the Constitution of the United States, and it basically spells out what we believe, what we embrace as a nation. They have the Palestinian Covenant, which spells out specifically, it's, it's in there for anyone to read, for the annihilation of the Jewish people and for those people to be driven into the sea. So they take all these intermediate steps, you know, towards, quote unquote, peace, but their goal and objective is clear, whether it's Hamas or Hezbollah, a uh, different organization, same goals. They want the total destruction and annihilation of the Jewish people. And so, you know, they won't be happy or satisfied until that takes place. Carl, in addition to that, you haven't gone there to the destruction of Israel, but in practical terms, they also claim 
that Jerusalem is the capital of the Palestinian state, which does not exist. Although a Palestinian state, I will say, ladies and gentlemen, is recognized by 134 nations that are part of the United Nations. So they recognize a Palestinian state. But you just heard what Carl said. It's a manufactured term. But nonetheless, Carl, let's go to that. Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. That's a mutually exclusive claim. You can't have Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, and Jerusalem, the capital of some Palestinian state, can you? Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, the word Jerusalem or a form of it, Zion, sometimes it's used uh, in the place of Jerusalem. It appears just under a thousand times in the Bible. The term Jerusalem not once appears anywhere in the Quran. And the whole idea that, you know, Muhammad had a special encounter with the angel Gabriel up on top of the Temple Mount, was transported there, that doesn't come into play until the 1920s. That's not found in the Quran anywhere. And so there's a lot of made-up thoughts, even some of the older leaders in the 1920s and 30s who had supervision of the Temple Mount in their own literature acknowledged it was the place of the Jewish temple, and it was a Jewish place of worship. So again, they've remanufactured, they've rewritten history in order to justify that, no, this is their capital, they want control of it, where God says it's his land, it's his capital, he warns through the prophet Joel, anyone who will try to divide up his land. And of course, this is all basically unfolding prophecy, because we know there's coming a time when all the nations of the world are going to go against Israel and against Jerusalem. And I think the stage is just being set through it. Doesn't mean we sit on our hands and do nothing. We need to defend what's right, but we know ultimately where it's going to end up. Carl, that will bring up a question that we're going to talk about, ladies and gentlemen, when we get to the end here in the last segment. And that's this part. It's a practical aspect. Israel is in the land. Israel is God's land. Promised people, promised land, a covenant city, Jerusalem. Yet Israel is in the land, but by unbelief. They still don't accept the Messiah. I talked about that earlier. They're there, and the Bible says that the next steps down the road are going to be very costly steps. Book of Zechariah talks about this. There's going to be a tremendous, tremendous hardship on the land of Israel and the Jewish people. Until they look to him, they call and they say, Behold, he who comes in the name of the Lord. When they recognize the Messiah as Jesus, as the Messiah, then things turn. But we're in that time right now where that's not yet happened. So we're at a most unusual time being able to witness this. That's why we're going through these things today, these conflicts, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict right now. It has no resolve outside of God's resolve. We're trying to break that out. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about understanding God's plan for Israel, God's plan for Jerusalem as it compares to where we are right now. Listeners all across America are thanking God for Stand in the Gap today. Listen to what Carol, a faithful partner from Southeast Pennsylvania, says about Stand in the Gap today. Hello, my name is Carol, a regular and faithful listener of Stand in the Gap today, a daily one-hour program heard Monday through Friday. The program hosts talk to interesting and fascinating guests who will discuss some of the most important issues of our day and time from a constitutional and biblical worldview. I hope you will join me for Stand in the Gap today, a daily one-hour program heard Monday through Friday. You'll be so glad you did. And remember, 
The American Pastors Network covets your prayers and financial support. Thanks, Carol. Your prayer and financial support of this program has helped us to become the main source of trustworthy news analysis for so many people. If you're listening to me right now and you've never contacted us like Carol did, would you do so now? Partner with us in prayer and finances by going to standinthegapradio.com. And if you're benefiting from this program, tell a friend. What does every person need in America? The truth. In Hosea 4, 6, God said, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr with another Stand in the Gap Minute. The people of Israel had rejected knowledge, substituting personal pleasure for truth. Hosea 4, 9 notes, And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways. You see, when we abandon truth, we invite judgment upon our lives and upon our churches and upon our nation. Instead, 3 John 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So if we truly seek to glorify God and walk in the power in this life, we must build our lives on His truth. God's Word is truth. Jesus is the way and the truth. So let's intentionally follow our Lord, obey His Word, and grow in truth. Discover more at AmericanPastorsNetwork.net. What is God doing in America? Is the experiment that began in Philadelphia nearly 250 years ago over for good? Or is there a pathway back? Can we rekindle ideals that freed millions from human bondage? Is there still a purpose for a nation that defended liberty in nearly every corner of the globe and once deployed a worldwide Christian missionary movement? We at Stand in the Gap Radio believe the answer is yes. By God's grace, America's story is far from over. And it's why we launched 11 Principles for National Renewal, a TV series and compatible journey guide to help you, your family, or your small group take the first steps in helping America begin again. Learn more at standinthegapmedia.org or search for 11 Principles for National Renewal at amazon.com because America's spiritual renewal begins with you. You're listening to Stand in the Gap today, discussing the pressing issues facing our culture from a biblical and constitutional perspective. Now let's rejoin our host. Well, if you're just joining us now, we're midway into the program. If you're just joining us, we're talking about Israel. We're talking specifically about the Palestinian people, Palestine, the fact that the United Nations recognizes it as a state. But as my special guest, Dr. Carl Brogy, senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina, made very clear the whole term, Palestine, Palestinians, manufactured term, doesn't exist. It's, it's, not, it's not real historically. But we're in the midst of this where these people now, the Palestinians, seek the complete destruction uh, of Israel, and they say it in their charter as does Hezbollah, as does it is held by Iran. They want not a limitation of Israel, they want an elimination of the Jewish people. They say it. That's what they are doing. That's why this engagement that we're now involved in, that the world is witnessing, is not likely, in my opinion, to find an easy resolve. But there's two ways to approach it. If you listen to regular news, you're not going to hear anything that we're talking about here today. 
because regular news and the nations of this world have no consideration for God or his plan, and therefore, uh, actually, they do have a consideration for God and his plan. They reject it, and that's why they're rejecting Israel. So we're going to, in this segment, we're trying to build out now what is God's views. As the Israeli, or as the Israel-Hamas war widens, and I think uh, threatens to engulf the entire world, as I've described in other Standard Up Today programs, the people of the world and the nations of the world are aligning themselves into rigid and hardened camps. And as you've seen, they're believing all kinds of lies. Remember that a hospital that was theoretically bombed in, uh, in, in the Gaza? Remember? It, it wasn't Israel that did it. That's now clear. But the world believes that it was. It's all right. So that's an example. You believe what you want to hear, but it's going to be from our perspective of however we view it. Now, at the moment, it's primarily Western globalist nations that are aligning against Eastern communist and Islamic nations. So if you look, it's basically Europe and the United States aligning against Russia, Turkey, China, Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah. That's how it's aligning right now. But in reality, it's really an alignment against the God of heaven and God's plan. That has to be understood that that's really what's happening. So, Carl, let's go now into this. You've described the historic roots of Palestinians. I just kind of summarized it a little bit. The current state of Palestine talked about that last time. But what does God say? about the land of Israel, the Jewish people, Jerusalem, the boundaries, because we're talking about now the boundaries, the ownership of the land as promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does God say? Let's go there as our, as our standard, I guess, for what ought to be. Sam, sadly, what God says, college students all across America are being taught just the opposite. They are told that the people of Israel have occupied a piece of property that never belonged to them. They stole it from the Canaanites. And of course, um, God's word teaches in Genesis 15, when God appeared to Abraham and he said, look, your people are going to be oppressed for 400 years. When the 400 years are out, they're going to be released. But he said it won't happen until the fourth generation when the iniquity or the wrongdoing of the Amorite is full or complete. So when God looked at the Canaanites, he looked at a vicious people. And the war that took place when they went into the land of promise was a Yahweh war, so to speak. God was the commander in chief and God has a moral right to judge And the viciousness of the Canaanites is parallel to what we've seen with Hamas, where, you know, in a single day, they slaughtered 1,300 people, mostly civilians, some in their sleep, doing vicious things to elderly people, to little children, to infants. I mean, just beyond imagination. And very similar to the kind of people that the Canaanites were when we read about those people historically. They remind me of the Amalekites when they... Uh, went against Israel after they left the Red Sea and attacked defenseless widows and children. And 40 years later, before they go into the promised land, Moses reminded the people, God said, get rid of those folks. Now, some folks have trouble with that. And this is why we need a moral compass. If we don't have a moral compass in terms of when war is right, I'm not thrilled about war. I have two sons who are Marine officers, and I recognize that there's a real possibility that they could be put in harm's way. 
But I recognize, too, that there's a moral justification for war, and I recognize that Israel has a right to the land because God gave them the land. He not only gave them the land, he spelled out the boundaries. He said, to your offspring, I will give the land in Genesis 12. He said in Genesis 15, let me just turn over a page. He says, to your descendants, I've given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Turn over here another page, and he says, the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. He spells out the boundaries in Joshua chapter one. It's a huge piece of property, most of which they don't actually inhabit today. And God even foresaw that they would be carried away by the Babylonians. And he prophesied through Moses and the Lord Jesus said it too. There would become a time when they wouldn't just go off to a place like Babylon or Assyria, but to the ends of the earth. But he also wrote in Deuteronomy 30 that when you're banished from the faraway places under heavens, God would bring them back into the land. And that's what he did in 1948. It was miraculous. Isaiah spoke of the fact that Israel would become a nation in a single day. And he's given them this land. It's their right to it. And uh, they are compassionate and have been a compassionate people towards the quote unquote aliens in the land. And God gave them that instruction through Moses, just like we are to be compassionate to aliens, but not anyone could come in the land and operate however they wanted. When aliens came into the land of Israel, they had to submit to the law of Israel, and it should be the same even in our own nation. If people come in legally, they need to submit to the rules of a nation, because a nation without boundaries is not a nation at all. And God, Acts 17, established the boundaries of nations, and he established the boundaries of Israel. And so... Again, they're back in the land that we're told prophetically would happen at the end of time. And indeed it has. And God is gathering the Jewish people. There's only about 13, 13 and a half million Jewish people on the planet. And now 7.3 million Jews are living in Israel. More Jews now live in Israel than all the countries combined across the planet. And it's important prophetically because just as the Lord used Israel to unfold his first coming, he's going to use them to unfold the second coming. And Jerusalem is going to be a centerpiece of it. Uh, Zechariah said, I'll make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink that will make the nation stagger, and they will send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judah. That's going to happen during the tribulation period. But indeed, the stage is being set even today. Carl, that, that is miraculous and amazing. Just real quickly, there are even some conservative commentators. They seem to, you know, be pointing out the globalist agenda and things. But on this point of Israel, they seem to be siding against Israel, kind of, you know, maybe like they would Ukraine and other things. And they, they kind of see it as we shouldn't be involved with this. And they see Israel as the oppressors, kind of citing, you know, almost like they're stealing the land, kind of like some people say the colonials, you know, stole the land from the Native Americans. How would you respond to that answer that, that, or how would you answer that, that accusation that Israel's in the wrong and that they're being oppressive by denying the Palestinians a homeland? Well, colonialism would be like when the British went to a country that was not theirs and they took it over through military might and put the people under their rule. That's colonialism. 
it's very different. God gave the land to Israel. It's been theirs for 3,500 years. And so for them to uh, come back after the Babylonian captivity and to live in their land, and then for them to come back here at the end of time and to live in their land, they're not occupiers. They own the land. God promised them the land. And so in the end, it becomes an issue of authority. People who dismiss the Bible as authoritative, they're going to uh, submit to their fallen human reasoning and rationale, and they won't see it in this light. And clearly, that's what the Bible prophesies. They're going to go against this point of view in the end. All the nations, that will include every ethnic group, people living in America, Germany, France, wherever they are, they're going to set their hatred against the people of Israel and against the capital of Jerusalem. Uh, so the scripture speaks of this in advance. Doesn't change what we should do. We should defend Israel. God will bless the nation that defends Israel. God used Richard Nixon, a Unitarian, really a pagan. His mother told him, if you ever have a chance to protect Israel, you should. And in that 73 war, when they were at near destruction, and gold in my ear called him in the middle of the night, he knew what his mother had told him as a six-year-old boy. And he told Kissinger, a Jewish man who is opposing defending Israel, you give them everything they need and double it. And because of that, God used Nixon to preserve Israel in that war that they thought would never happen. And I hope and pray that our president, uh, certainly a rank unbeliever, will do the same. Because if we don't, it's history for America. I don't know if it's going to be the Chinese or the Russians or who it's going to be, the North Koreans, but we're toast if we don't defend Israel, because that's the only thing that has kept a nation like ours that is living in utter depravity functioning. And, and ladies and gentlemen, I hope you caught the significance of what uh, Carl just said. And I, I couldn't say any better. We as a nation are toast. That's a good way to say it judged of God if we continue and oppose Israel. Now, right now, there's an appearance of support. How long will that last? I don't know. I hope it lasts a long time, uh, but it may not. But God is in control, and God is aligning the nations just like that. When we come back, we're going to conclude this. It's time to reserve your free seat now for our APN's 10th anniversary Forging Ahead celebration, 6.30 p.m. Tuesday evening, November 14. Join me, our entire Stand in the Gap team, and special friends, the Honorable Michelle Bachman and Dr. George Barna. Celebrate God's goodness with us at High Point Baptist Chapel in Geigertown, Pennsylvania. Come and see what God's done. Learn how He's enabled us to reach millions worldwide with the authority of Scripture, a biblical worldview, and the need to stand in the gap for truth. This will be an evening of celebration and song, a display of gratefulness to God, and an honoring of faithful friends. Meet our team. Hear what God says about the latest news of the day. Be challenged by George Barna and inspired by Michelle Bachman. Learn how you can be a vital part in reaching millions more here and around the world should the Lord tarry. All are invited, but you must sign up at StandInTheGapMedia.org. APN's 10th Anniversary Forging Ahead Celebration. Reserve your seat now. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God told the fathers, Diligently teach your children the ways of God. BJU Press K-12 textbooks are designed to help parents do just that. Whether you teach your children at home, online, or in Christian school, make sure they're getting an integrated biblical worldview instruction. 
In our nation's early days, Pennsylvania's William Penn understood God's requirement for freedom and national blessing, and he emphasized the necessity of parents and government leaders providing for a virtuous or godly education of the youth. Sadly, our children in government schools today are being taught historical falsehoods, immorality, and evolution. Like a roaring lion, the devil stealing our children's hearts and minds through deceit and lies. But a rigorous, godly education can still raise up Daniel's and Joseph's, Esther's and Ruth's. A friend of freedom and your partner in godly K-12 education, BJU Press is here for you. Don't take chances with your children. Visit BJUPress.com for your best option. You're listening to Stand in the Gap today. For more information, visit our website at StandInTheGapRadio.com. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed the program so far. You just cannot talk about Israel, Jerusalem, the Jewish people. You cannot talk about East nations versus West nations. You cannot talk about anything, literally, that we see happening in the news today and make sense of it without looking at it through the filter of what the Bible says. We are living in, and I hope you all understand, that we are living in the most unusual times that have only granted to certain people. The people alive during the time of Christ's first coming were in a most special and unusual time. So are we, because we're actually seeing and have been seeing for these many years, but seemingly now like coming at, at uh, lightning speed, a converging of all that the Scripture speaks and coming together, and the world's attention is like we've been talking about on this program for years, will ultimately be focused on Israel and Jerusalem. And that's where it is. And that's what we're talking about today. So I want to bring some clarity to uh, this now. Just one quick comment, though. You're listening to us. You've heard it many times, but we're about three weeks away now from our event, November 14th celebration here in Southeast Pennsylvania. If anybody was in a couple hours driving time of here, please come. Please plan on joining us. StandInTheGapRadio.com. You can go there or StandInTheGapMedia.org. Either site will take you to this 10th anniversary event. You'll find information about it, and I'm still encouraging everyone to reserve your seat. Helps us to know who's coming. And number two, there'll be information about the location and the time. That's 6.30 that night, Tuesday evening. Please, please plan on being with us. George Barnum will be with us. Our entire team, Michelle Bachman. It's going to be, it's going to be a time of real encouragement, real information. We'll talk about the events of the day, the things that are happening as they will be at that point. So be with us, uh, please. Extend, uh, consider this a personal invitation. Please come. All right, Carl. In the last segment here, let's let's. I want to deal with this. There's the political solution to which the nations of the world, including our own U.S. presidents, have uh, uh, embraced is a two-state solution. We've already laid out why that's a problem. So here here's a question for you, and that is this. Since literally all the nations of the world are literally opposing God, Psalm chapter 2, and God's plan, which revolves right around Israel, Jewish people, and the nation and the city of Jerusalem, here's the question. When will the current dilemma that's now escalating there in Israel, when will that current dilemma be 
resolved, if ever. I'm going to put it if ever because I think it will be, but tell us about it. Well, it won't be resolved until Jesus comes back definitively. Uh, I'm thinking of a passage in Joel. I just turned there and it said, for behold, in those days, this is Joel 3, for behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, this is what is happening in our day. He made them a nation in a single day. He's gathered them from the four corners of the earth. You go to Jerusalem. I was there last month. Over a hundred nations of Jewish people from around the planet are in the land. And God says of those who oppose Israel, I will gather all the nations and bring them to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. The Valley of Jehoshaphat is also known as the Kidron Valley. Uh, Jesus will be on the Temple Mount. The largest graveyard in the world is there. Jewish people want to be buried there because they recognize the Messiah is going to come back and they want to look at him when they're raised up. And I will enter into judgment with all the nations whom they have scattered, my people, and they have divided up my land. God takes offense when people divide up what he calls my land. And that's why no two-state solution is palatable for any believer who believes in Scripture. I'm not going to argue with God. I'm not going to mess with God's land. God promised it, and God is faithful. Uh, the reason Israel exists today is because God has kept his promises. And he said, if this fixed order departs from me, uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, then I will cease to love Israel. He says, if a man can measure out the foundations of the earth, Jeremiah 31, then I will cast off the people of Israel. But we can't do that because God is faithful to the nations and uh, faithful to Israel. And the very people that are being opposed, the Jewish people, are actually going to be the instrument that people will give great esteem to during the millennial reign, because after the church is removed, it's going to be the Jewish people that is going to fulfill the great commission. This gospel of the kingdom shall go out to the whole world, and then the end shall come. How is that going to happen? Through the Jewish people. And so John sees people from every tribe and tongue and nation standing before the throne. How have they been one? Through the Jewish people. And that's why during the millennium, a man will just want to hang on to a Jewish man and give him thanks, as the prophet Zechariah describes. And so this nation that is described by an unbelieving world, most of whom will perish during the time of the Great Tribulation, will also be esteemed by those who hear the gospel in clarity and power for the first time through the people of Israel. So again, God's not done. He's setting the stage. It's not by accident. There'll be no real solution until Jesus comes back and the, as the Prince of Peace. And then indeed, they will occupy the full boundaries, which they've never yet occupied, but they will occupy their land in full. God will show that he's a promise-keeping God, among other things, during the time of the millennial reign. Carl, that, that is so exciting when you talk about those passages and, and those reminders. Um, but on the flip side of the coin, the here and now, you know, today, what's going on in Israel, when we look at the nation of Israel, we see that by and large, there's a lot of unbelief. Uh, in Second Corinthians chapter three, Paul said that they still have the veil over their face, uh, and haven't, you know, seen Christ. And so sometimes there are people, Christians and, and such that, that support 
um, all that's going on in the land of Israel, even though most of the people in Israel have rejected Yeshua as the Messiah, the Christ, the, the Messiah. Um, how do we, as Bible-believing Christians, how do we balance that dilemma? How do we support Israel, but also recognize that Israel, just like America, doesn't do everything perfectly? Well, that's true. So we're not saying that the Jewish people always wear the white hat and the Arab people have the black hat, that the Jewish people are always the good guys and the Arabs are the bad guys. Look, God loves the Arab people, too, and he wants them to be one to the Lord Jesus as much as anyone else. And so we need to put it through the biblical lens of Scripture. That's our ultimate authority. So the land is theirs. That's indisputable. Doesn't mean that every single policy that they make should be supported by evangelicals. We're to be salt and light to all the nations of the world, be it the Jewish nation or the multiplicity of ethnicities across the planet. So we, we, we keep that balance, but thank God that many Jewish people, you know, on the day Israel became a nation, there was known, three known born-again believing Jews in the whole country. Today, there's over 30,000 believing Jews in Israel. There are 77 congregations of completed Jews who meet every week confessing Jesus as Lord. And so there's a lot happening. I think the seeds, though, are just being sown for some of these future events. So, again, ultimately, our authority is Scripture on all moral decisions that we make. Uh, but when it comes to the land, God has spoken. He hasn't stuttered, and neither should we. Hmm. We should be in defense of the people on this issue. Uh, Carl, we're at the end of the program, and that's a tremendous way to finish. Ladies and gentlemen, Scripture, as we say is our final authority. No policy by American leaders, no policy by Jewish leaders. But when it comes to God's promise to Israel, there is no compromise. God's people, they're his people. Jerusalem is his city. It's his city. And the boundaries of Israel are God's promises. On those, there is no compromise. So our authority is a God's word. If it is, all right, it'll carry us through these days that lie ahead. Dr. Carl Brogy, thanks for being with us. Isaac, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with us today. If you like today's program, tell a friend. You'll also want to hear Stand in the Gap Weekend and watch the nationally syndicated Stand in the Gap TV program. We present the news of the day truthfully, carefully, and consistently from a biblical worldview and constitutional perspective. If you're hungry for the truth, Visit StandInTheGapMedia.org to find all our programs and the stations that carry them. While you're there, be sure to download our free app and support this ministry with your best financial gift. Then join us again right here Monday through Friday for another program of Stand in the Gap Today.